Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am your host, Ross Bolin, here at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas, with my co-host, Barrett Dudley. Indeed, indeed, you are here with me, and I'm just thinking about how Father always said winter would come. No, my, has it. It's cold as shit outside cold here. Cold as shit. Oh, yeah. And I just love starting pods with a little weather talk, mm-hmm. you know? It really puts you in the mood of sitting right here with us in the stew. It lets the people know we're real humans that also have climate <laughs> in our area. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, my nipples are chafing. Mm. Hey, with the colds. Yeah. Got to be yeah. careful. They're erect constantly, and it's just hell. And that's the one thing they never talk about on Game of Thrones is all the nips. The, the nipping that goes on when winter comes. You got to assume that they're just used to it by now. Within you know? a mile and a half of the Night King, it's said that your nipples can get so hard that they can cut glass. <laughs> did you know that? I did not. Yeah. Little, it must be a little known fact. It's in one of those off like books he wrote about the books. Uh, right. George. Right. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can find that in a uh, in a volume at the Citadel, but you got to you got to really search for it. It's, oh, in the re- yeah. it's in the restricted area, I'm pretty sure. Under the it's nip under nipples with uh, all the books okay. about nipples okay. and nipple yeah. uh, issues that could you know that would make spring sense. forth yeah anyway this is the night's rewatch we're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones starting with season one episode one leading up to the final season of our favorite show so we can all be as prepared as possible that's the idea right we want to enjoy season eight as much as we possibly can and in order to do that we're rewatching the whole show analyzing breaking them down with these podcasts. So that there's not a moment during season eight where you're like, wait, what? Who's that? Or wait, what are they talking about? None of that's ever going to happen to you. You're going to be so fucking on point. You won't even know what to do with yourself. Tell your friends and family members, your coworkers, your neighbors, anybody. We're starting a new season today. Season, season seven. It's a good time to recruit wow. for the night's wow. Season seven. Here it is. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, did you, uh, did you, uh, there's a bit, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of news. Bit of news. Oh, we're going to get to that eight. news, Barrett. Yeah. We're going to get to it. Okay. You just hold your horses. You just hold on there, dear. Bit of news. Okay, hon. <laughs> this episode of the Night's Rewatch is brought to you by Me Undies. This holiday season, you can get everything you need for you and your loved ones at Me Undies. I am wearing Me Undies boxer briefs right now as we speak, and they are so comfortable that I almost feel bad for everyone else who's not wearing literally this exact pair. Me Undies uses the coveted micromodal fabric, which is three times softer than cotton. And you might be thinking, okay, three times softer than cotton. No, it's. It's legitimately the softest fabric I've ever felt. If you've never felt it, get ready to experience pure bliss in underwear form. And this year, Me Undies is dropping new holiday prints every Tuesday during the holidays, holiday season, which means you have no excuse to not celebrate the holidays right down to your very core, literally. But why stop at Undies? This year, Me Undies is launching their holiday prints in lounge pants and in onesies as well. Love a good pair of lounge pants to lounge or perhaps a onesie. Mm-hmm. With which to wear and act like a child at a Christmas party or something. These pants are made for lounging. They're also made of that micromodal fabric. Same as the undies. Yeah. Crazy comfy. And for you, the Clam Fam, Me Undies is giving you 15% off any first time purchasers with free shipping. This is a no brainer. 15% off the most comfortable underwear or lounge pants or onesies 
or holiday printed lounge pants or onesies or undies, 15% off. Free shipping. 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to meundies.com slash dragon. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash dragon. Little bit of news. Not a little bit. A lot of bit. Big news. They finally cracked, at least slightly, and have announced a month for the release of season eight. They were like, fuck, fuck, fuck. We have to give them something. Fuck April. (laughs) I feel like this isn't even like, this isn't helpful. It, it it merely confirms what many had already suspected. That we, A, wouldn't get it in 2018, and B, it would be deeper into 2019. Oh, well, no, 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 no. It's We've known it's been t- going to be 2019 for like for a months. year. Oh, I thought just a few months. No, no, no. But, oh, okay. the, but they, they originally, they had said first half of 2019. Right. And so people were speculating that that probably meant like May, maybe as early okay. as April. Okay, okay. Because this is kind of like now this is kind of like origin. This is like OG Game of Thrones release date. Yeah, that's, I just wish they, they would have given yeah. us like a specific one. Yeah, this so feels, no. this so feels now like it could change. They, man, they are going to eke out the information. As that's slowly. a good point. Yeah, it's all about this is a essentially a publicity stunt. Right. to be like April. Now they're going to people ne- are like next, what day? Yeah, next they're going to be like, well, it's going to be on on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. A Sunday in April, and then we'll be able to narrow it down to, to like to, f- to three, four, days. four days. Yeah, right. yeah. And then and then they'll never tell us the actual date. We all just have you to just tune, tune in, tune each in Sunday on during each Sunday, April. and maybe it will. You know what's sad about that? I would absolutely sit on the couch every single Sunday and, and just like anticipate it. Well, and then I'd end up watching whatever they put on yeah. instead. Yeah, I'd just be like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, I'll watch some. I don't know what's one of the other good shows right now. Uh, they've got a new one that I have not watched called Camping. They probably they'd show you episodes of Camping. I don't want to watch camping. Yeah, you got to watch camping. I want to watch that's Barry. You, that, yeah, okay. Put on Barry for me, Siri or Alexa or whatever HBO's little robot person is called. You bet your bottom dollar I'd be on that couch every Sunday in my <laughs> MeUndies lounge pants. <laughs> <laughs> my bottom dollar. Oh, I have that available, so I might bet it. Yeah. Anyway, April, season eight. Uh, we don't know anything else, really. Not much, anyway. They just basically have started uh, marketing and the marketing thus far consists just of footage from the old seasons right. from the seasons that already exist and they're doing this whole campaign called for the throne and doing hashtag for the throne and if you're wondering like well how does this happen what they do is they hire a bunch of kids straight out of college and they stick them in a room and they say come up with ideas to make people watch this show and then some kid goes well i like hashtag for the throne and then they run with it and that kid makes like you know 42 grand living in Manhattan or something and then uh, a few years from now they'll be dead on the street do you think that's, that's how it goes that's how it goes okay yeah well I'm just saying some kid probably came up with this hashtag and here we are now we got to say hashtag for the throne I'm not saying that. I bet it was like a 60 year old dude I'm not putting that on anything hashtag it was, for it, the was throne. it was you know it was an old it was some old man that like is out of touch with with modern reality look doesn't even know what a meme is we don't need hashtags we've we've all discovered this yeah they're funsies but they're, they're not, no one's going to use that. Yeah. I'm not going to put up, like, watching the episodes, I'm not going to be like, oh, damn, I can't believe Danny just did that hashtag for the throne. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, you're just going to, like, use, like, yeah, there was, yeah, I don't know, whatever. There was no need for a new one. They could have just said GOT season eight or whatever, hashtag GOT season eight. Hashtag, I, you need a hashtag, I get it. Do you? I I think you have to. It's like a you know because it's like the CEO is probably yelling at some guy in marketing. He's like, where's the hashtag for yeah. season eight? He's okay. like, oh, God, it's hashtag for the throne. Anyway. 
Can we talk, let's talk about something else. How about this? I was thinking about this. I, it, it came across my mind when, uh, towards the end of the episode, when, when, uh, when Daenerys had her, her parts of this episode. And I was thinking about Amelia Clark just walking around on the street with her grungy boyfriend and her, or her baggy Nirvana jeans. That homeless man that she's yep. adopted. And I was thinking about how all of these actors, they're done. They're donezo with this show. Yeah. And they're all going to be going home for the holidays seeing friends seeing family and they know it's they spoiler know how season it, yeah they know how it ends yeah how can they possibly go through the thanksgiving and christmas and um dead ass if 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 like amelia clark is my aunt hanukkah holidays and not talk about and like you know people are going to be begging them for for like for just like tidbits of info kwanzaa it's another holiday okay sure. uh if danny if if amelia clark is my aunt i'm not going to thanksgiving just because I feel like I'll get a spoiler out of her accidentally. And you've, like got, she has a few and you've drinks. got too much in common with Jon Snow there because you like think your aunt's super hot and it's like this whole yeah, weird thing. Then, yeah, then that, it just, it's a bad <laughs> dynamic. You don't, you don't want that. Dude, that's, yeah. I never thought about that. At some point, there's going to be a kid somewhere, poor bastard, maybe already exists, whose aunt is Amelia Clark. Mm. And he's going he's gonna to have to think to himself, damn it. <laughs> You know, he's gonna he's gonna know. Yeah, he's yeah. just like Jon Snow. Why can't Game of Thrones be, be real. real life? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In other news, uh, odds have been released by the Action Network. Maybe familiar with them? They're a gambling centric, sports betting centric brand. Odds released for who will rule Westeros at the end of season eight. Would you like to know the current uh, odds? Not really. It. I'll Give say it this: me. they're a little interesting. Okay, if you don't want to know, me. skip forward or bear it if you're you earmuffs. <laughs> Bran plus 130 is in the clubhouse as the leader. Fuck that. Bran is only plus 130, which really freaks me out. Bran? If Bran ends up on the Iron Throne, oh, the anger. Yeah, that's a no. He has no personality left. That's, what a, you, that's a no. It's going to be a no for me, From there dog. you go, John plus 500, Danny plus 600, Night King plus 900, Arya 1,000, Tyrion 1,200, Sansa Gendry, Samwell Cersei, Jamie Davos, Varys... Plus 7,500 on Varys. That might be the play. That's a good play to me. Yeah, fuck Danny, fuck John. They're dying. How does That's Gendry have better odds than Cersei? Oh, hmm. Cersei's getting got. Or as Benioff and Weiss would say, Cersei. Cersei? Why the f- Toman? So I went back and watched the, uh, <laughs> the one that you were referring to. You know how I don't typically watch right, the inside right. the episode? The most recent one was the most egregious one they've ever done. It's, it's almost as if... They came in after not having discussed the show at all after several months <laughs> in between the offseason, perhaps after vacation. It's, it's possible. And a long trip on mushrooms or something. And then they came in and were like, all right, we're ready to talk about Tyrion and, and Sansei. <laughs> okay. And, okay. And at this Gendry. point, this is just their like sick, twisted sense of humor. Is it? You yeah. think they're just trolling? I really they hope it is. They are trolling the got shit us. out of this all of y'all. Bad. They see me trolling? Cersei. You're like, wait, what did you just say? Yeah, Do you know uh, they wrote know. an episode of Always Sunny? Yes. No, multiple. Uh, just I'd... the Flowers for Charlie episode. Oh, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. Pr- I mean, they've done a ton of different shit, none of which would add up to make you think, oh, these are definitely going to be the Game of Thrones guys. A- anyway, I just I cannot believe Bran is the favorite. And if you remember correctly, when the odds came out last year preseason, preseason seven about shit like this, there were some interesting people at the top too, and things change and the odds shift, and as things get leaked... Uh, and smart money comes in. I can't believe we're talking about television in this way, but this is 2018 where you can gamble on all this stuff. These things will move. 
They'll be moving around a lot. Uh, but my question is this. Like, all right, you said you didn't want to know the odds, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to stay away from them moving forward because I'd be shocked if Vegas didn't know before oh, the, house the show knows. Aired, Right? Like, I'd be shocked if whoever they have favorite no, as the no, favorite no. isn't the winner. No, that's... No. They can't have that. That's... That's that's rigging the system. Yeah, but they don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl. But you could know who's going to be on the Iron Throne. Yeah, like Here's you don't you don't think Vegas has the means like to infiltrate that's to find that out. But also Ross, this is why things like this, these prop bets and everything, there's a limit to how much you can gamble on. Very like, good point. They'll only give you like two hundred, three hundred dollars that you can put some, on the iron. Some bookmakers only let you put like thirty bucks on Varus, for instance, or mm-hmm. some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are the odds for who could end up on the Iron Throne. Good bit of uh, fun news there. You're, you're right, though. They they were not very accurate before season seven. Nah. Like they did not really pan out. Nah. So I'm not too worried about about these. Okay. Well, let's do a few hotline calls. Our number is eight six six four three clans. We pulled three calls from the hotline this week to play. Uh, the hotline is open anytime. It's a voicemail, so you're, you're not going to be talking to a person. You just leave a message. If so, you mess so up, I hang not, up. I do not have to call in between 9 no. a.m. and 5 p.m. Anytime. Central, central any, time. Anytime, central any day. Time. Anytime, any day. Okay. The hotline is open. Call in when you're pooping or whatever. Ask us a question. Uh, give us a theory, some constructive criticism, a clam fam correction. Here's a few calls from today. Here's the first one. Hey, my name is Keontae, but you guys can call me Tyler, calling from Annapolis, Maryland. I don't know if you guys get too many calls from out here. Just wanted to let you guys know, just saw uh, Bohemian Rhapsody this past weekend, and uh, Littlefinger, the actor, I can't remember his name, is in it, and I think you guys, if you see it, will like it. I think he does a little bit of slithery uh, accent in there as well. But uh, one question I had to ask you guys, as we've seen over the seasons, every battle John gets into, he almost dies whether it was in Crasher's Keep or in the Battle of the Bastards do you think that's a pattern that they want to build on so that maybe his death is more you know memorable or you think it's kind of tying into the whole Princess Promise thing just calling love you guys show keep doing what you're doing Bye. how about that little fingers in Bohemian Rhapsody I want to go see that it looks like a good film guy's caking up man I wish he was a member of Queen in the movie I'm assuming he's not I, d- I don't yeah probably yeah. too old for that yeah, nothing about his look screams queen. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yes, but yes, every battle John gets into, it seems he almost dies. Uh, so the question is: Is that a pattern they're building on towards his death, so that we'll be less suspecting, or is it more about like his destiny as the prince who was promised? And I lean towards the latter. It's for me. I I just think that's the way war goes. Like, of course, you're gonna have near death moments. He's had more than others. He's even had one full-on death moment where he yeah. came back from, obviously. But. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had to choose between those two, I'm, I'm leaning towards the latter as well. But more than anything, I think it's just like your kind of prototypical superhero-style writing. They're That's building true. suspense. Uh, like, uh, like, I mean, you know, go watch an Avengers film, right? Or a right. superhero film. Like, the, the star, the superhero, almost dies like 18 times. But, yeah, you know what I mean. Because you need him to, to so, for it to be fun, right? So I I think that's more just like kind of classic storytelling. Like, oh, is he he? It's hero's it journey, was, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a couple couple near misses there for old Jon Snow, but he rises above. And you imagine if he was just safe the entire time of Battle of the Bastards? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, man, this, really is, easy. this is this is simple. 
Nobody's really messing with me out here on the side. I'm just going to stand out here on the side. Now, having said that, like, oh, he's a big, big death risk in season eight. Absolutely. Who isn't, though? Right. Everybody is. Everybody is at this point. I don't know that anyone is. I mean, no one would shock me, honestly. Yeah, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next call. Hey, Clam Fam. This is Erica from North Dakota. And I was calling to talk about Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones. Not a sentence. I thought I'd ever say, but I remember you guys bashing this scene pretty fucking hard last time. We talked about it, and I was wondering if your thoughts have changed after seeing it a second time. I really didn't think it was that bad of a cameo. Um, In fact, the scene for me made me a little anxious and, like, tense because I just kept thinking, is Arya going to have to kill these nice soldiers? I'm sure that's what, you know, they were going for, but... I was a little, I was a little on edge watching it. So, anyways, I'm sure you're just gonna bash him, but I thought I would call and see. Maybe you guys have uh, mellowed out a little. Thanks. Love the show. Peace. So over a year removed from the shock and horror that mm-hmm. was Ed Sheeran's cameo in Game of Thrones, uh, <clears throat> as our caller spoke to, we reacted harshly. Mm-hmm. When this happened, mm-hmm. now in hindsight, I feel like this is one of the smaller problems that season seven has, and I don't particularly care. Disagree. Our caller was spot on with my reaction. I reacted extremely negatively to it. Oh no! Once again, okay. And here's why: it's not like full disclosure. I'm not a big Ed Sheeran fan. But it's more than that. It's I hear that voice, and I and I'm and I know that oh god, here comes the Ed Sheeran cameo, and it takes me out of of the of the world, right? Because I know that like we're doing a bunch of wink winks at the camera here, because we all know that this is Ed Sheeran, yeah. Like, and he is singing a song, and then he has the cringeworthy line where Arya's like, "I haven't heard that one," and he's like. It's a new one. It's a wink, new wink, one. Wink, wink, wink. Like, Jim does a gym look at the camera. I'm a real musician in real life. Exactly. And so that's that's what I don't like about this. Because I agree with the caller that the rest of this scene, and we're, we're jumping way ahead here, but I'm going to talk anyway. That's fine. Like, is really good. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it does, it's one of the very first times ever that we, like, hit the timeout button and we're like, hey, some of these people are just regular soldiers. Well, like not everybody is out to kill everybody else. These guys are just doing their job. And it's like, and it is kind of a cool scene and it is very tense because we're, we're, we keep pan, we keep looking over at the swords and you don't exactly know what's going to happen here between these guys and Arya. And it's like, so I, why did that need to be Ed Sheeran? Because yeah. that, that detracts from the tension of the scene to me. So these being Lannister soldiers is obviously a very significant piece of the puzzle. And Arya is obviously sitting down and deciding at some point during their conversation if she's going to have to kill these guys or not, or right. if she should. We have seen humanized soldiers in the show before, but they are almost always uh, very dislikable, usually making like boner and fart jokes or trying to stick their fingers up each other's asses. That literally was a scene like four mm-hmm. episodes ago. So. We've never had a scene where Lannister soldiers were likable or relatable, and that we have here. And that, I agree. I think it's a good scene. And I, I, you're right. No, it didn't need to be Ed. Uh, but I get it. I, he, forced, he, he forced his way in there. He forced his fucking way in. I would have done the same thing in his position. 
If you're Ed Sheeran, you don't find a way in, I find a way in. Yeah. And you can all deal with my ginger face. Is he a ginger? Is he even <laughs> yes, a ginger? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a ginger. I just... Notable ginger. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, there's not anything wrong yeah, with that. There's it's something just, wrong with that. It's Well, that's your opinion, Dan. He's he's like a light... He's a strawberry ginger, is he not? I, I, he's got red hair, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He's not like a attractive man, so he kind of fits in to the med- medieval times. I really like the song Castle on a Hill. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's where I, that's where that song is where I was like, oh, okay, I'm yeah. okay with this. Yeah, I like that song too. Okay. But you know, he's also been like sued about four times for just completely ripping off melodies from famous well, or other songs. He also or, or wrote. Other songs. Oh, he's yourself. one of those guys. Yeah, That's Ed Sheeran good. also wrote "Love Yourself" for Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, dude? God, he's rich. I came across ju- the, some of those Justin Bieber songs the other day the ones from that album it's the name of the album is slipping my mind right now it's a good album that that shit was fire dude imagine if it those was Bieber songs were Game of all Thrones. so good would that catch you off guard if Biebs was on it yeah oh yeah that would have been hilarious and just awful yeah Wor- it, it is yeah, that would have been that would have been worse than the Ed Sheeran he's game, all yeah. tatted up yeah Nothing about the Bieber would work on this on this uh, in this setting. Anyway, last call. Here it is. What's up, guys? It's Ben from South Carolina. So I was taking a break from watching or from playing Red Dead Redemption this past weekend, and I watched the new movie uh, Outlaw King on Netflix, the one about Chris Pine uh, being Robert the Bruce and uh, what happened after Braveheart. And first thing that I noticed when I was watching the movie, they showed the King of England, and I'm like, holy shit, it's Stannis. And so the guy who played Stannis. Uh, play the King of England, and I honestly feel like um, this is what Stannis would have been like uh, as king if he had taken the Iron Throne. He was just a grumpy old dude, and he didn't like sitting around his castle while his un- incompetent son went out and just screwed things up. Um, I mean, he was he was a successful king, but he was kind of an ass, uh, and he just didn't take shit from anybody or trust anybody, and he didn't want to grow old in his castle and die, which, I mean, that basically describes Stannis. And also at the end, they had a cameo from the Blackfish, which I thought was really cool. He just kind of popped in for like five seconds and popped back out. All right, guys. Love the pot. Bye. So how about that? Stannis really finally did get that throne. He, he did. did. He just did. on another network with another show. I mean, you know, the thing about Game of Thrones is that they utilize just like a who's who of famous, great British actors. Yeah, just British actors. And, and then so, so, it, it, so anytime that you need a British actor... It should come as no surprise that these guys continue to pop up in other places there as well. Was, that it, is why I'm I am still just like enjoying every second of of uh, damn it the 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 red priestess who's now Kevin's no, gro- Kevin's girlfriend on uh, This Is Us. It just I'm loving her because she's on like an, she's on an American show. Is this the red priestess that only showed up once? Yeah, that you were into. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, uh, she's Kevin's girlfriend now. Z- Zoe on This Is Us. We've talked about this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She just she literally was in Game of Thrones for twenty seconds, but now she's on like a super popular American television show, and so it's with a great American accent, and so it's just like I, I don't I don't know. I'm just getting a big kick out of this. It. Is Us is the show with just the nonstop laughter and the jokes. No, dude. This is Us. I, know, is I was the, being this, sarcastic. Okay. Yeah. You're watching network TV. But good for... Uh, good uh, for Everybody watches that show, Dan. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah, middle America. It's The, the, the fact that... We're in middle the, America. The fact that, you, that your girlfriend has not made you watch this show makes me wonder if your girlfriend's even real. 
It that's, does. That's a fair I, point. I've, this is on often in my home, and we, people are crying and shit, and I'm like, oh god, I got to get out of here. We did watch Outlaw King this weekend, though. Okay, what that's on my list. It was okay. Blackfish. He's also in there. Uh, also, Lord Lord Commander uh, Mormont is in it. Oh man, yeah. Gior, whole, whole squad, old Gior. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into this. The uh, the beginning of season seven, season seven, episode one, Dragonstone. Written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik. The description is, John organizes the defense of the North. Cersei tries to even the odds. Daenerys comes home. Now, the reason you're listening this to listening to this a day later, or really a few days later than few you days should late, be. A few days late. You're, is, what you're hearing right now is the magic of what I'm going to call splicing. We're splicing. It's Hollywood magic. It's Hollywood magic because they just heard you say the description. The okay, here's the description. Yeah, and really, this is like 50 hours later yeah. than than the than that 25 minutes that you just listened to. Right, and, and they have no idea. And they have no they have no idea. You have no, you had no idea, but we, we movie felt magic. like it was funny. Movie so, magic. Yeah, we wanted to tell you for those we try, who we follow try, us we on actually, social. We tried to let the whole thing to let you hear where Ross starts talking about. Uh, Stormborn yeah. instead of Dragonstone, yeah. and, I, and I catch what he's what has happened. Yeah. But it turns out that that part did get erased, so we don't already, have it, which sucks because we so, wanted to play it. Yeah. But long story short, here's what happened: I watched the entirety of episode one, Dragonstone, the episode we're about to uh, discuss here for the entirety of this podcast. The next day, I go to watch it again and make my notes. But long, there's a lot of turmoil, company term, business things happening. Chaos, my mind is scattered. I hit play on HBO Go, start to take my notes. Episode two opens in Dragonstone. Right. And I had seen episode one within that 24-hour period. So a lot of people were asking, like, didn't you realize, like, whoa, I feel like I'm missing some things? No, I didn't feel like that because I had just watched the episode we're about to discuss. The perfect storm of fuckery is what happened. I apologize for that. I mean, your 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 brain wasn't just it wasn't it wasn't on right. I was frazzled. You know what I mean? Yeah, you were fra- you were very frazzled. I was very frazzled. Yeah, and now I'm composed. That's right. And we have the correct episode here for you today, which is great. And uh, I guess for those of you who are more in the know on Grand X and how things have unfolded here over the past 24, 48 hours, whatever. I'm going to speak to that on the Ross Boland podcast a little bit later today. The only thing you really need to know at this point, Clam Fam, is that the, the, the show rolls on. The Clam Fam maintains. We think. We think. For for the time being. I I am, if you're wondering, I am no longer gainfully employed technically by Grandex. Right. And we have not cleared really any of the hurdles, but we're going to try to finish out the Night's Rewatch if everything goes like we think it will. Sure. Yeah. But hey, I'm here today, and that's that's really what matters. We at least got this. You're getting the lost episode. This was almost the lost episode. Almost. We've dug into the archives, and we've we've pulled it out from beneath the grave. I really wish we had the recording of me <laughs> thinking I was listening. That was that was very good. But anyway, anyway, so let's do this thing. Uh, by the way, this episode of the Night's Rewatch is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. You can go on there and use the promo code BACKDOOR, one word, B-A-C-K-D-O-O-R, to get a 50% deposit match. So if you put in $100, you get $50 back. People are always asking me where to bet on sports, where I bet on sports, where they can bet on sports. This is your answer, mybookie.ag. They have all of the sports. They have in-game live betting in case you miss kickoff or tip-off or puck drop or whatever. You can still get some action in. They have a great mobile site and app. You can also bet on eSports for those of you who are interested in that. And most importantly... 
You can bet on the outcomes for Game of Thrones Season 8. So go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code BACKDOOR to get that 50% deposit match, and then go play some bets on the outcomes for Season 8. You can bet on uh, things like who will be the first to perish, who will be the ruler of Westeros at the end of Season 8, the first female character to appear topless, in which, by the way, Cersei is favored. <laughs> We've never... Have we ever seen her topless? No. Like main character? Like it's isn't it definitely going to be some rando? I don't know if there's stip I guess it's there's no field bet probably. Okay. Okay. You need to go look at it. But yeah. it, anyway, Cersei's favored Masande is a close second. And then shockingly, Danny is behind Masande. So I, I don't know what to make of all this. You know, don't be surprised if we don't get any any breastuses either. I wouldn't be. That's I mean, what I'm saying. You know, I don't. I don't know that season eight is necessarily going to call for the the classic HBO gratuitous nudity, nudity and sex. It was season gonna be seven. All the season seven surely didn't have it have much of it. It's going to be mostly violence. It would you would think. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. The wager cutoff. Uh, looks like it's currently December 31st if you want to bet on Season 8 of Game of Thrones. I don't know why they do that. Probably for safety reasons because information starts to leak and such. This Thanksgiving, it's possible for you to get a 100% refund on your bet if you lose it. If you've ever been afraid to place a bet because you were afraid you'd pick the wrong team. With the Turkey Day free play, you can bet the spread on either the Bears or the Lions. If it wins, you win. If it loses, my bookie will give you your money back up to $250. You literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. So keep that in mind as well. Let's do this. Let's start it. Season 7 opens at the Twins in the Great Hall on Walder Frey. There's no opening sequence, no opening credits, no theme song, straight to Walder Frey. It's a cold open, baby. Winter is here, cold as ice. And at first you're like, okay, 50-50 shot, this is a flashback, or it's Arya as Walder Frey. Because we've seen what happened to Walder. Mm -hmm. Present mm -hmm. day, mm -hmm. he's no longer with us. He's, his throat was cut deeply. Uh, maybe you're 65-35 in favor of it being Arya as Walder, if you want to get real technical about it. But anyway, Walder Frey's throwing a feast with proper wine for proper heroes, for all the proper heroes of the Red Wedding specifically. Uh, and when he says that, you should know this is Arya posing as Walder. The proper line for proper heroes. Proper heroes. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, because you can tell that 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 that's pretty sarcastic. He's laying it on a little thick there. Yeah, you know. And then he's like, "Since when does old Walder give two feasts in a single fortnight?" Hey, hey. I wish I could do his laugh. Did you just like combine Walder Frey with Slingblade? Yeah. I think that's the closest I can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sling, sling blade. What is? Give me a sling blade line. I, I don't even know one. I don't I just, I just I feel know like that people that's know the sling blade. People voice. know sling blade lines, yeah. just not you and me. Well, anyway, yeah. that's my Walter Frey. It's okay. sling blade. <laughs> so just insert that uh, Billy Bob Thornton in there, yeah, and yeah. you've got what I see in my head. Okay. Anyway, Arya does a much much better job of me playing Walter. Uh, much better job than I do and, and gives you enough to know that it's not him, which really means David Bradley, the actor, playing Walder Frey slash Arya does a great job and gives you just enough to know it's Arya, which is just a weird situation. I've never, never had to analyze. Yeah, I mean, I actually was thinking about this. It... <sighs> you don't think he got into the reverse psychology of it? You think he just got up there and played himself? Kind of, because it's not... 
It's possible. Like you can okay, like we said, like that one line, the proper wine for proper heroes, it's definitely somewhat of a giveaway. Well, it works. But Frey the, yeah. Walder is also like a salty old bastard anyways. Right. So I don't I didn't think there was like a ton that was like okay, I can I can I can really tell this is Arya. But basically what I would say is that Arya did an incredible job of playing Walder Frey. Yeah. And which re- which was, really means David Bradley did an incredible job of playing, of playing Walder, Arya. Of pl- no, of playing Walder Frey. But of playing Arya playing Walder Frey. Eh. There's layers to this onion, Barry. A lot too many layers. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Arya poisons all these people. All of them. Uh, except for the chick sitting next to her. When she goes to drink, Arya says, Not you. I'm not wasting good wine on a damn woman. That was better. That was closer. Uh, and then she goes on this long spiel as Walder to all these men who helped Walder slaughter the Starks at the Red Wedding, butchering a pregnant woman, cutting the throat of a mother of five. Uh, Continues on, but you didn't slaughter every one of the Starks. No, no, that was your mistake. You should have ripped them all out, root and stem. And this is when people start choking and dropping like flies. Uh, Leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. At that point, pretty much everyone's on the ground choking to death. It's, uh, again, save the girl standing next to Arya. Arya unmasks herself at this point. Uh, takes off the Walder Frey face and uh, turns to that girl and says, when people ask you what happened here, tell them the North remembers. Tell them winter came for House Frey. And then she walks out right past all the dead. Very cold-blooded. It's the same kind of... I, I, I saw a pretty big parallel. It's kind of the same walk away and smirk that Sansa has when she walks away from Ramsay. Yeah, which would put those back to back, right? That was the last episode we we did, right? Season six, episode ten. No, because nope. that's Battle of Battle the Bastards. Battle of the Bastards nine. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, that that was the uh, cold open for the uh, for season seven. A cold open. A whole. And did you did you mention the leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe? Yeah, that's a good ass line. Yeah, it is a good ass line. Then we get the opening credits and the theme song and all that. And after that, we return north of the wall to a cloud of snow approaching on an open landscape of ice and barren field and we see these figures in the cloud uh, of snow on horseback one of them's pretty clearly the night king we see his generals their blue eyes are piercing through the snowy air the army of the dead's following close behind and then a giant a fucking giant white w-i-g-h-t remember that's what the zombies are called white yeah yeah i did see that giant and then another giant and then another it's not good it's not good at all. There's Wait, th- you saw three giants? Three giants on screen at the same time. No, there's yeah. one giant. No, there's one giant in the foreground. You see one walking in the background, and then another one in the far right. There's huh. three. Uh, and when we get the really close-up view of the one that has his eye missing... Okay, that's the only one I noticed. That one we discussed the first time through this season is not 1-1. Right. Because uh, he... If you want to go back and listen to that episode for funsies, this is a completely different set of notes. We couldn't even find the original to reference, so it is literally a completely different episode. Uh, but we discussed that whole situation. One one was shot through the other eye, which if you want to get into why they did that or whatever, go listen to that one. Next, we're at the wall with Mira Reed, daughter of Howland Reed, and Brandon Stark, son of Ned Stark. She drug his ass all the way up there after uh, Uncle Benjamin decided to part ways. And the person they're dealing with at the wall is Dolores Ed. He has been left in charge by Jon Snow. And he wants to know how he's supposed to believe that this is Brandon Stark and Mira Reed. How he can know that's true. 
So Brand straight up tells him, uh, you were at Hard Home, you've seen the Army of the Dead, you've seen the Night King, he's coming for us, for all of us. Like he's, Bran is, it has all the information at this point. Remember we saw him begin his mass download deep into the Matrix with uh, Mira at the Were Tree in the last, in season six, episode 10, in the finale of season six. He's got a shit ton of information. We don't know exactly how much or what he knows, but this is the first little insight into that, that he has downloaded a lot. He's seen a lot. He knows Ed was at Hardhome. He knows Ed has seen the Army of the Dead. He's seen the Night King. And he uses that information to gain access to Castle Black. Ed is like, uh, that's enough for me. Let's get them inside. And two big dudes drag Bran. Yeah, and but really, like... Okay, so this dude knows a lot. He didn't really prove himself as Brandon Stark, did he? No, but if a future C or a person who has that ability to like tell me where what I know and and has all that information about me shows up, I'm probably gonna let him in and try to figure out who they are at the very least. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it's not. But it's just weird because it's like, you, you know. I think it's like it's more of well, that was enough to at least get inside. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then you can go from there. Because if you tell me that you know. You're Ross Bolin, and I'm like, I don't know. How can you? How can I know for sure? And then you just like tell me about some shit I did when I was eight. Yeah, I'm not gonna be like, oh, that proves it. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, you're. But, you're but we live you're, in a different world. You're right. This is like he's like, okay, shit. This guy, this dude, he's he's got, he's got something. He's got facts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The two big dudes drag Bran inside, and it's really funny if you pay attention. Mira like puts her hand on the back of the sled. Like, she's not comfortable not being one of the people helping transport Bran because mm -hmm. she's been doing it for so long. She's like, oh, look at me. This is me helping. I'm, I've got my hand on the back here. And there's two, like, you know, 6'4", 230-pound linebackers pulling him. She is totally not need to do that. But anyway, Ed looks out onto the forest. Uh, you can tell he's very worried about what the fuck is going to come next. And then we're out to Winterfell where John meets with all his people to tell them he wants uh, every northern maester to scour their records for any mention of dragonglass. So he's on that dragonglass tip now. He's, he needs to find this shit because as he explains to his people, it kills walkers, white walkers specifically, and is more valuable to them now than gold. They need to find it, they need to mine it, and they need to make weapons from it. Uh, we find out John has a plan... And that plan involves everyone, not just the boys, everyone, women and girls, training to contribute to this fight. And Lord Glover, uh, his sexist ass, stands up and he's like, whoa now. He's actually not sexist. He has a good question. He's like, do you want me to put a spear in the hand of my granddaughter? And then Lady, little Lady Mormont just just goes absolutely batshit on him for, the, I believe, the second time in as many episodes. It, this is a girl power moment again. Every moment with Lady Mormont is a is a girl power moment. She explains she doesn't need his permission to defend the North, nor does any other female, and that she will begin training every man, woman, boy, and girl on Bear Island ASAP. Welcome to this egalitarian society, you old bitch ass. That's what she says. To Glover. Yeah. 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 Pretty and he, much. And he's like, ah. Hey, why is John though like, get a spear, get a shovel, dig, get your bow and arrow and dig? Like, yeah. who's digging with a bow and arrow, man? I don't know. That, he had, that he, seems wildly inefficient. His list of tools was shit. Yeah. It was like shovel, and you're like, okay, shovel. Yeah. And, then, and then the rest of the things the on the list were, were like, just bad. wait a minute, those aren't digging tools. Yeah, yeah. It's like, use your sp my spear. It's going gonna, it's gonna to snap the head off. Yeah, really, like, you're limited to like a shovel and maybe a backhoe. Pickaxe? Yeah, pickaxe. 
Like, I guess if not, you had a giant hammer, you could just whack the nah, wall. But even it's, that, though, nah, that wouldn't be yeah, shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. He needs to get that list together. He does. You know? Yeah. It needs to he's have. Gotta th- he's got to think about those. What tools make the most sense? Right. I think. Yeah. He's like, grab your brooms. <laughs> They're like, what? Yeah. That's not gonna work. We're not playing Quidditch out here. The fuck is this guy talking about? So you know what sub? It's a solid we're trying wall, to, sir. We're trying to dig for dragon glass. The God. ground is cold and frozen. <laughs> Broom. So anyway, that's uh, the last place these people all saw the Night King was hard home. The last place John saw the Night King, the last place Tormund saw the Night King, uh, was hard home. And obviously, they're going to need to shore up their defenses because the wall is the only thing standing between them and the army of the dead. And the wall hasn't been properly manned in centuries. So John puts two and two together and decides the closest castle we've got on the wall to where we last saw the Night King is East Watch by the Sea. Uh, that's the name of the castle. We've never been there before. We're not familiar with it. This is our first introduction to it as show watchers. Uh, and whatever you want to call it, a holdfast castle, whatever. That's the place where they think the Night King might potentially attack the wall. And Tormund's like, then that's where I'll go. Looks like we're the Night's Watch now. <laughs> and the lords are like, oh my God, this <laughs> making jokes uh if they breach the wall john goes on to explain the first castles in their path are going to be last hearth 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 and carhold which i just find it very funny that the Karstark stronghold is carhold carhold yeah Yeah. clever family the (laughs) Karstarks. uh these two places are going to be very important to remember probably because Last Hearth and Carhold are probably going to be places we see get smoked in the first like 20 minutes of season 8. Mm, that's a good yeah. I so if you're wondering that. like in, in you know several months from now in April if you're wondering to yourself who are these people I'm watching be slaughtered? It's likely the people at Last Hearth and Carhold. Uh, it is pointed out in this scene that the Umbers and the Karstarks who maintained those castles both betrayed the Starks. Sansa is of the opinion that we, the, they should give those castles to new families, loyal families. And John is like, I'm not just going to punish generations and do away with hundreds of years of loyalty because of a few reckless sons. So we have, again, this conflict between brother and sister here, kind of a power struggle. It's exactly what Littlefinger wants, what he's been trying to promote. And uh, Sansa continues to kind of argue with John publicly about this, saying that they should, again, give the castles to families with sons who died fighting for the North, not for Ramsay. But John is adamant about this. He takes a firm stance. He will not punish his son for his father's sins, and he will not take a family home away from a family who has lived there for centuries. That is his decision, and his decision is final. Now, what call do you make here? What do you, what do, you, what do, you do? If I'm John? If you're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I probably would have taken those castles away. And given I think them you got to gotta take the castles away and given them to another family. Like I, I, I hear you, but you're you're not the way that you're not punishing the kids is you're not like just killing them and destroying their family and putting right, them in right. prison. That's their not punishment. That's their not punishment. It's like, oh hey, you get to still be with us and fight for us and and yes. stand by our side, and I'm not and and you're not dead. We're not gonna hold the sins of your father against you. Yeah, but, but we're like, not going to give you a, a fucking castle. But you don't get to keep the castle after the entire like upper branch of your family was like, hey, fuck you. Yeah, that doesn't work that way. You and know? I mean, it's also like to Sansa's point, there are other families now that are carrying, right. pulling their weight, that are yep. have been on their side this whole time, have been showing up every time they've been called on. It's like, 
give them shits to some people who are we can trust. Right. Yeah. Because this I is mean, important. Like, like I'm I'm gonna bring those kids into the fold, but I'm also gonna keep them at an arm's length because, I, you know, the apple it doesn't it doesn't fall too far from the tree most of the time. I don't trust these little brats. Well, and it's the problem is this: it's the Godfather Part Two. It's where uh, we see whatever Vito Corleone's mother take him over to the mafia boss to beg for his life. She's like, "Please don't kill my son. You killed my husband. You killed my other son. This is the only son I have left. Don't kill him." And the mafia boss is like, "Fuck you, lady. When he grows up, what if he comes seeking revenge?" Right. Right. Exactly. That's always the point you roll with. Is uh, and in this case, surely. Umber and Karstark grow up, and who knows what they believe. And who knows, right, exactly. What, what kind of people they turn into. Yep, yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, and I, so I think that, I think because this kind of feels like a pretty, ob, you know, obvious thing to do. Yeah. That this was a, a distinct choice to kind of like show that Jon Snow, although not technically Ned Stark's son, has some of those same, like, he's just, I mean, and we, we know this. a little this. hard-headed. He's, he's too... He's got some of that same, like, I'm too noble and valiant for my own good. That's definitely an example, yes. Yeah. Uh, because he wants to he wants to uphold the honor of all these people who fought for those houses in the past. When in reality, nobody cares. Those people are fucking dead. Yeah, and I mean, dude, being a ruler requires difficult decisions. And it's not all just, like, mercy and fun and games. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions. Sure. So, so John, uh, again, decides against Sansa here. And then he calls up Ned Umber and Alice Karstark, who were in the room this entire fucking time, which is very awkward. They were like basically arguing their fate in front of them. And then they're <laughs> yeah. like, all right, come up here, Alice and Ned. And you're like, oh, my God, they were here. You feel like some of the lords probably didn't even know that. Uh, he brings them up. He has them repledge their loyalty to House Stark. He says, yesterday's wars don't matter anymore. All the north need to band together. All the living north. Will you stand behind beside me? Ned and Alice, now and always. And they say, now and always. And the house gets all enthused. Uh, the hall, that is, gets all enthused. And that's like a nice little moment, I guess. If you are if you can wrap your head around John probably taking the wrong stance here. Yeah. Then, unfortunately, we go straight from that to more arguing between John and Sansa. He says, you are my sister, but I am king now. And she's like, will you start wearing a crown? And they're just walking around that like second floor balcony, the outdoor balcony that's super baller. It's like the coolest part of Winterfell, in my opinion. Uh, and John tries to explain to his sister he doesn't want her questioning his decisions in front of the other lords and ladies. That's the point. He he's not. It's not so much he has a problem with her questioning him. It's that he has a problem with him questioning her in front of other important people. That's at least what he's telling her. Who knows if that's actually how he feels. That's up to us to decide. And uh, Sansa is... The whole thing is just a silly conflict. I mean, this is the kind of thing you have to work through when you've got a power struggle like this going on. It's just... It is what it is. And Yeah, and this is another this is another piece that's like very kind of hindsight 2020. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, yeah, this is pretty expected. They're they're figuring things out. They're both new to these roles that they've been put in. Right. And Sansa is just asking like for a voice. Basically, yes. You know, and she's pretty it, when you're rewatching this scene, like she's pretty understanding of the whole thing. She's basically like, I trust you. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I realize that you're the one you're, you're the face. You're the face of the franchise. But like, I, you, I just want you to listen to me. I feel like it's 
the only reason there was ever annoyance with Sansa in this season is because of the way it's structured. Like right. we were supposed to feel that exactly. way. She never actually does anything annoying. Right. To this point anyway. Yeah. Like, I mean, her points are all very valid. Yeah. It, when, when it comes down to it, she gets out what she needs to say. She says, uh, well, first of all, they get back to being brother and sister. The conversation becomes less tense and it's more buddy-buddy. They're reminiscing about Ned and the lessons he tried to teach them, how he tried to protect them, and he failed. And then that's when she gets her message across that she needs to get across. She says, you have to be smarter than father. You need to be smarter than Rob. I loved them. I missed them. But they made stupid mistakes, not stupid, and they both lost their heads for it. And John asks, and how should I be smarter? By listening to you, which was a stupid Yeah, which is actually like, kind of, yeah, he's the one kind of being a, a dick here. Yeah, and, and she's like, would that be so terrible? Yeah. And uh, that ends the conversation because a maester approaches. But I, I'm with you. She's absolutely on the right side of this argument. And and sometimes you you know people on the same team they don't they can't see your side, and that fucking happens. And maybe that's the case here. But I think in the end the conversation ended on a good note. And yeah. when this this yeah. this maester approaches with a raven from King's Landing for John and breaks up the whole conversation, and John reads the letter. It's uh, from Cersei of the House Lannister. Titles, titles. And she demands that John come to King's Landing, bend the knee, or suffer the fate of all traitors. And Sansa points out that John has been so consumed by the enemy to the north that he forgot about the one to the south. And they get into this back and forth about the threats they're more familiar with. Like, John knows the threat to the north. Sansa knows the threat to the south. And that's essentially what you need to take away from this, is that they both have expertise on different sides and see the threat from different angles, um, so it will be very helpful for House Stark that they have that advantage, that they have someone who has seen everything that he needs to see up north, and they have someone who has seen everything she needs to see down south. And uh, the th one threat being greater than the other isn't really the point. At the end of the day, the White Walkers are arguably the much greater threat, but doesn't diminish Cersei as a threat. Uh, as Sansa points out, there's no wall between King's Landing and Winterfell, for instance. John argues there are thousands of miles, though, and it still doesn't, you know, it's, the point is, both things matter. White Walkers, Army of the Dead, Cersei, they gotta worry about all this. And when Sansa's explaining why Cersei matters, uh, that she will never quit, that she will never stop attempting to wipe them out, John says, it almost sounds as if you admire her. And Sansa responds, I learned a great deal from her. And there's almost like some shame in Sansa's response or like uh, like a bit of humility with it something yeah, it. yeah well i think it's kind of like maybe just more a moment of of clarity where she's like she realizes she how much she, she learned from yeah her. yeah yeah that yeah that makes and so sense. E even though this person was awful and like just right at the top of her shit list she like, made an impact yeah she made a big impact yeah i'm with you like that's it that's the explanation in my mind that's the moment of realization the moment of clarity for sansa yeah from there, guess who we're with next? It's Queen Cersei of the House Lannister, titles, titles, uh, herself. She's standing on a giant map that some dude is still actively painting for her, the gi a giant floor map, which every ruler is, uh, that's ever existed, ever. Gotta have it. Has wanted. Gotta have one. And Very important. Jamie comes in and he's like, what is this? And Cersei says, it's what we've been waiting for our whole lives. It's ours now. We just have to take it. She's so fucking psyched on... Uh, it being her against the world I love it It's like 
Jamie's all concerned this whole scene about how they don't have any allies and Cersei's just psyched on just fucking everybody. We're the last Lannisters. The only ones that matter. Yeah. So she goes on to confront Jamie about how quiet he's been since he came home. Uh, remember, he just returned home at the end of season six to see that she had destroyed the Sept. Caused her son to commit suicide. Uh, killed everybody. And kept yeah, become queen. All those things. Quite a bit has happened. And uh, she's she's like, what's your deal? You're being real quiet. Are you angry with me? And he's like, no. She's, she's like, are you, af are you afraid of me? And he's like, should I be? And she doesn't answer. Just goes straight into strategy talk, which is not fucking comforting <laughs> at all. If she was trying to be yeah, comforting. Yeah, that's not, that's not what you want to hear. God. So she lays out all their enemies. Enemies to the east. Enemies to the south. To the west. To the north. Enemies everywhere. We're surrounded by traitors. She says, you're in command of the Lannister army now. How do we proceed? Did that line, that question to Jamie, strike you as like... What, what was she intending to... What did she mean there? Because she... I know she respects Jamie mm. on some level, and she wants to know what his opinion is on this matter, but she's the one making the decision at the end of the day. Like, did she... It was just odd the way she put that question forth. Like, it was... They're no longer brother and sister. They're queen and general at that point. Yeah. Which is... It, it was just an odd dynamic that I don't think we've ever seen. Jamie tries to explain to her how much danger they are in and says that she, he's not sure she understands. It just becomes very clear throughout this conversation. Yeah, it's all business now, pretty much. You know what and, I mean? And for Jamie, they're not on the same page. Right. At all anymore. Um, he tries to bring up Tom and says, we never talked about Tom. And she says, there's nothing to say. This is their son that killed himself. She says he betrayed her. Uh, and then she goes off on this tirade about... Well, should we just spend all of our days mourning the dead, mother, father? I loved them, I did, but they're ashes now, and we're still flesh and blood. We're the last Lannisters, the last ones who count. And Jamie says, even Lannisters can't survive without allies. Where are our allies now? He, he brings up Walder Frey, how he was slaughtered. They don't know who did it. He says, but whoever did it is no friend of ours. So the Lannisters are already fully aware of this. You'd think there'd be a little more concern on their part considering the amount of effort that went into building that relationship with Walder Frey about him and his entire house getting completely wiped off the map, but whatever. But Jamie persists. Where are our allies? We can't win this war alone. And then Cersei says, you think I listened to father for 40 years and learned nothing? And then unfortunately, we have to cue the pirate music. Yeah. And get the pirate ships. Oh, Full-on pirate ships. Yeah, then we're on the sea with Euron... All the ships are black. Yeah. All the sails are black. Big gold octop octopi on o there. Octopussy. It, it's, it's, Krakens. It's absurd. It's, it's, it's silly. It's Pirates of the Caribbean. This was, this was completely mishandled. Yeah. Uh, it, so Jamie's looking out at this fleet, and even he's like, the Greyjoys? You invited the Greyjoys to King's Landing. He's just like, who are these? What is this pirate fleet you've got going on here? What is this? And Cersei explains that Euron Greyjoy is the new king of the Iron Islands. And Jamie is like, these are bitter, angry little people who aren't good at anything. Which is a really good description <laughs> of the Iron Islanders. He says all they know how to do is steal things they can't grow or build themselves. Which, again, is fair as far as we have seen. But Cersei says Euron Greyjoy didn't come here for that. He came here for a queen. And then we're in the throne room where Euron himself, back in now full Bam Margera mode like he is dressed 
Exactly yeah. like Bam. Combo, hybrid, Bam Margera, Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean, slash John Barbados, rock star. Yes. Yeah. He's just like a rock star. Uh, okay. I, before we get into this, least favorite scene of the episode. It's not good. The Complete, one in the throne room? Yeah. Uh, I don't... I'm not sure who to blame. I don't want to pin too much on the actor because he's dealing with what was written and how the direction is going. I put a lot of it on him. But I think he may have been miscast also. And we, we've listened to the people in charge talk in the inside the episodes right. after some of these about how the Greyjoys are Viking people. Yes. They're Vikings. They are not pirates. Right. So who in what room was suddenly like, you know what? How about instead of Vikings, the Greyjoys are more like Disney Pirates of the Caribbean style pirates. Yes. Let's deck them out in gaudy black and gold and a bunch of stupid Johnny Depp looking leather and give this guy guy liner and make him like this swashbuckling fucking dildo. It's Palu. I don't know how to say his name. I just Palu Esbeck Esbeck. More more than more than anything in season seven, more than the time jumping, more than like the like kind of shorting some of the storylines like all that this is what bothers me the most see this I'm, was poorly handled i'm with you i think the the problems in in this season that bug me are the ones where it's season seven's issues weren't that they had to figure out a way to get to all these different places they had to figure out a way to get all this information and storyline into these seven episodes in season seven so it's not just that it's all crunched together it's that the parts that are crunched together are crunched together so like they're having to accomplish so much, it just feels rushed. Like, it, this scene in particular is a good example. It's just kind of like, it doesn't have the masterful, realistic feel that mm-hmm. all of Game of Thrones has. It has the, what is this pirate shit yeah, situation? Yeah, and I blame that uh, in large part due to the fact that we suddenly have a pirate in Westeros. Yes, well. And not like a believable one like Salador San, who's like, you know, not a, pirate. Not a stereotypical Disney pirate. Right. Now you're giving me a Disney pirate. The guy they should have put an eye patch on the guy for crying out loud. I would have liked how about, how about more a peg leg with an eye patch. Yeah, but they should save that eye patch for that one-eyed giant <laughs> that's in the army of the dead. He needs it too. Yeah. So Euron explains their shared situation to Queen Cersei. He explains that his niece and nephew stole a bunch of his ships and gave them to the Dragon Queen. And since all their trees and his family members are fighting for the same side, he thought it would make sense for these rightful monarchs to murder them together. And Jamie's like, all right, enough of this. What They get into it, Jamie and uh, Euron. First, Jamie tears down the great joy history. He talks about their failed rebellion. He speaks to all the inadequacies of their family. But Euron is totally unfazed by this. He even goes to the links to admire Jamie. Uh, talks about when he was rushing through the breach and cutting people down. Calls it, says it was glorious, like a dance. Uh, this is not the only time we have this device, this type of device used, a reference to a current character doing something glorious in battle back in the day. Mm. We always hear about Thoros yes. running through the breach with his flaming sword. And uh, this is very similar in my mind. So, Jamie uh, says, <laughs> the people I was cutting down were your own kin. And Euron says, the place was getting crowded. I enjoyed watching it. I truly did. And even this whole thing here is like, look, there's just, I maybe this is just the way they see the character as being that fucking evil and weird and silly. But even an evil man wouldn't wouldn't take 
joy in like watching his own people get slaughtered. It just it just becomes unrealistic, like that level of evil. I don't know. Just something about his character is not believable to me. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I don't I yeah, I it and that that's the part that I kind of pin on the actor. Because if I'm listening to Ramsey say he enjoyed watching his people get slaughtered, I'm you probably believe, buying you believe it. it. Yeah. For this guy, it just all feels like a show. Yeah. Like the whole outfit, the, the ships, like yes. everything is a show. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then Euron goes on to explain that if they hadn't crushed them in that whole fucking rebellion, he wouldn't have gone into exile and become the greatest captain on the 14 seas and ended up where he is today. Ipso facto, all of this is Robert Baratheon's fault, really. <laughs> not the actor, not, not Benioff and Weiss. Mm -hmm. It's just Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Um, Euron even goes to shit on his own home. He says the Iron Islands are a bunch of rocks filled with very unattractive people. And this is where I wonder, Barrett, if perhaps he can sway you a bit towards his side. Uh, he says the Iron Fleet, on the other hand, that's something else entirely. It's the greatest armada Westeros has ever seen. With the Iron Fleet, you own the sea. So if you take this for what it is, face value, this is a guy who doesn't give a shit about where he's from because it sucks. We have recognized that it sucks. He agrees with us. He doesn't like the people. He thinks they suck. We've seen the people. They pretty much suck. Mm -hmm. uh, he says they're unattractive. We, I don't remember seeing anyone on the Iron Islands at any point that I was like, I'd hit it. Yeah, not a bunch of hotties, I guess. If you're Euron, why not do exactly what he's done, which is kill your own brother, build a badass pirate fleet, start dressing like a rock star, <laughs> and try to go fuck the hottest, most powerful woman in Westeros. On, th on that, If you look at it from that angle, it's kind of tight, is all I'm saying. Okay. And he has the greatest armada Westeros has ever known, which is cool. Uh, he says with the Iron Fleet, Cersei can defeat all her enemies in every direction. And Cersei asks what he wants, it, what's, what he wants in return. And Euron's response just adds to the no annoyingness of his character. It, just, it makes it really hard for, to stick by the argument I just made. He says, ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to grow up and marry the bu most beautiful woman in the world. So here I am with a thousand ships and two good hands. And then he kind of like holds his hands out and steps back smirking, mm -hmm. and you're just like, oh my God, this guy fucking sucks. Yeah. Cersei declines his proposal, says he's not trustworthy. He's betrayed people left and right, uh, also killed his own brother, and she and he responds, you should try it. Feels wonderful. They're just stacking these like cheese ball lines on yes. top of each other. Yeah. Um, and Euron, unfortunately for us, again unfazed, says he didn't expect her to trust him outright, that she would need proof of his honest intentions, and he's going to get her a gift, a priceless gift, and will not return to King's Landing until he has that for her. Which can't bode well for anyone. <laughs> us, them, anyone. Next, we're at the Citadel. And it's so great how they set this up. The first, like, four seconds of the scene... You see the Citadel, we're looking at the library again, oh, the Lord of the Rings style music, oh my God, the majesty, ooh, ah, for like three seconds. And then literally after three seconds, we're thrown into what is known in the annals of history as the poop loop. Indeed. And oh my God, it is hell. Pledge Samwell of the House Tarly is collecting and cleaning bedpans, emptying urinals, cleaning, they have like porta potties at the fuck. Why are there so many restrooms? They have legit porta potties, like wooden ones. He's serving up nasty that's a, that's soup. That's the bathroom, man. They don't. Ha it's not like they have porta potties and then also nice bathrooms. But they do. They have porta potties and then they have rooms with just like stacks of beds and bedpans and toilets and shit. That's the that's the infirmary, man. Those are that's sick poops. Those are the sick oh, people. Oh God, poops. we we see mostly the worst poops. Yeah, the sick poops. Yeah, that's exactly. And I was thinking about it. 
for a while, I was like, okay, why are they making all these poops watery? Like, why are they all like little like turds? They're floating sick around? old men. And but well, and also I didn't I didn't think clearly enough about it because a bedpan is not just for number two; it also has number one. Oh, it's that's good. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, you really are. Knowledge. You really are getting a turd stew there because it's it's the log sitting in the uh, in the peepee in the peepee. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. So the way that this thing unfolds, and on that's all that for I'll us, say about that before you guys turn on the podcast. Visually, <laughs> visually, it's poop, then books, then poop, then books, then poop, then gruel, then poop, then puke, then pouring poop, pouring gruel, stacking books, stacking poop, puking. It's something around that. I mean, they really wanted us to know Sam earned this shit. He earned his stripes at the Citadel. Yeah, you, I gotta say, man, this is I, you know we'll we'll get there a little bit later, but. At the end of season six, when they like show us how majestic and glorious and beautiful the Citadel is, and the library is all that, and it's like yeah, it's like Halo you, music yeah, you got playing, Halo, you got, Lord you of the got Rings. monk angel music playing, everybody's getting wings. Yeah, it's tight. Yeah, it's super tight, and it and then it like this place doesn't even matter. It 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 it's worthless. Yeah, but I think it's kind um, of so a shot at. It's kind of a shot at like. Um. I'm trying to put this in a way it's not going to like, that'll make sense. Uh, the government, let's say the White House, if you wanted to use that. It, the White House isn't particularly majestic or, or nearly as cool as the Citadel was in this scene. Well, okay, I, 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 what you're going to say is like, it's like the, it's the. They're just drawing that parallel. It's the rigidity of like the status quo. Like all these guys the, that think the, they know they what they're doing. They represent the patriarchy. This is uh, yeah. old white guys who who think right. they know better than everyone else, right. and they are the only ones that matter. Yeah, that's he, he goes so far as to say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, like this is the this is the old people that aren't willing to like adapt to change or yes. like recognize anything that anything will ever change or that yes, like the future could hold something different. Basically, right? Yeah, right. Uh. But the whole, I feel like part of the reason they did the poop loop to make us know Sam earned his stripes at the Citadel is because he's not going to be there for that long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, literally immediately after the poop loop, True. the next thing we see is him start to make moves to get out. Yep. Like, he approaches the restricted section of the library and he's like, hmm. And then a maester approaches and he has to duck out. But, like, clearly he has something planned. So the next thing we see is he's with Arch, uh, Sam is with Archmaester Ebros, dealing with the inflated alcoholic liver of some other dead maester. And Sam asks him point blank if he can have access to the restricted area of the library reserved for maesters in light of what he's seen in the north. Basically, he's trying to make the argument, look, I've seen the army of the dead. I've seen the, I've seen all this. I need access to that part of the library. But the archmaester shuts him down. And Sam says, look, archmaester, with respect, I've seen them. Again, reminding him, the White Walkers, the army of the dead. But Sam points out everyone in the Citadel doubts any of that shit even exists in the first place. So if you were expecting us to pop up in like a liberal arts college where people are open-minded and believe things and are and are down to explore uh, previously th things that were previously held to be false, that is not the case here. And that was kind of the vibe I expected to get from the Citadel first time through. I was like, okay, so this is going to be like college, like all mm -hmm. these people like trying to learn and shit. That's not really what it is. It's just old white dudes. Yeah. Um, so he's trying to explain this shit to the oldest of the old white dudes. And Archmaester Ebros does go so far as to admit that the Long Night can't be total fabrication. He says there's too many different reports of, from unconnected sources. And Sam's like, sources in the restricted section? 
and uh, he confirms the very same. But Archmaester Ebros acknowledges further that Sam is, is likely telling the truth, that he likely saw what he says he saw, and he says he believes him. Then he gets into the Citadel's storied history. He gets, into, he gets into this very serious spiel that you almost get the feeling he's given before about, you know, what the Citadel stands for, how important it is, how the wall has stood up through all of these different winters, how every winter that ever came has ended. Basically, he says he's not buying it. Like, he believes Sam, but even if he believes him, he, he doesn't believe that this is worth exploring. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's kind of saying, like, sure maybe some maybe there's like some grains of truth to what you're saying but the world has always faced things like this yeah and it just keeps on going and like and we're still here most importantly right yeah, yeah. so yeah. so he's not buying that there's actually like a genuine threat th- yeah major threat right so poor sam he's dejected we see him back at his pledge duties after that uh making the rounds and like the i guess it's not even the infirmary this time it's like the fucking solitary confinement for the super sick area uh but he's he's sneaking around again he steals keys from an elderly man an elderly sleeping man and then he goes into the restricted section <laughs> restricted section he does he does his thing fucking archmaster sam goes straight in gets what he needs to get back at the wall brienne trains pod on how to sword fight and that goes about as well as you'd expect uh, until Brienne sees Tormund approaching and loses focus for a second, and as a result, Pod like lands a blow, and then she throws him into the snow, like <laughs> tosses Pod like a rag doll. And Tormund turns to Pod and says, "You're a lucky man." He's very aroused. Yes. Uh, then we see Littlefinger up top tell Sansa that he heard Brienne beat the Hound in single combat, and Sansa's like, "What do you want, Lord Baelish?" And he goes on one of his little finger speeches and tells her he wants her to be happy, he wants her to be safe, and she's like, I'm good, leave me alone, let me live. And he's like, what about happy? Why aren't you happy? What, it is, what is it that you want that you do not have? And she's like, at the moment, peace and quiet. And Brienne comes up the stairs and Sansa says, no need to seize the last word, Lord Baelish, I'll assume it was something clever. Boom, roasted. Dude, he gets pwned in this scene. Once again, for the remainder of his time on in on this earth, another reminder that like Sansa like has her foot on this dude's neck already, man. It's been done. Yeah, yeah. Brienne even asks point blank, "Why is he still here?" And Sansa's like, "Uh, she like half heartedly even is like, we need him. He saved us. Give him credit for yeah, that." Yeah, it's kind of like she's still weighing what she should do, right? Because he did kind of save their asses, but then she's probably like. This is probably around the time where she's, you know, kind of putting every single piece together. Like, man, this dude. She's leaning towards. He really boned us. He needs to go. Yeah. I went through a lot because of this guy. My whole family has. Um, Brienne's like, he wants something. And Sansa says, I know exactly what he wants. And she knows exactly what he wants because his dumb ass told her. Yeah. That was a mistake. Next, we're on the road with Arya. It's good to see Arya. Uh oh. Is that singing? <laughs> Is that Ed Sheeran? That's Ed Sheeran. 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 She ran when she heard Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Oh no, but yes, it is that scene. This is the one so many people freaked out about for so long. The one Barrett is still upset about. The one we well, talked about yeah, during the hotline I, calls. Yeah, I gave my thoughts on it in the first twenty minutes, so I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a chill pill here, and I'm just you know. 
we'll appreciate the uh, the moments in the scene. You want to sing it for us? You want to sing us the song he sings? No. Oh. no well, I here don't. are the lyrics. For hands of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm. For hands of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm. Okay, Thank I, I you. I did sing it. I appreciate that. It means a lot. <laughs> I think that went a long way towards making sure anyone who doesn't remember the scene now clearly vividly does. Uh, you sound almost exactly like Ed. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, yeah. These are Lannister soldiers, by the way. Um, again, we discussed during the opening of the podcast, but it's a very humanizing scene, as we said. Parts of the army, uh, this part of the army in particular, this group of dudes, including Ed, has been sent to keep the peace after trouble at the twins with the phrase. Now, to put that together for you, the, tw the twins, the trouble there is that they were all murdered. Arya killed everyone. So she's familiar with the trouble. Now, the Lannisters have no fucking clue what happened, so they just sent soldiers to, quote, keep the peace, end quote, in the area because they're trying to figure out what the hell happened. They probably got a forensic team in there doing fingerprint swabs or whatever, throwing white powder everywhere, Ace Ventura style. But these particular Lannister soldiers, these are nice enough dudes. Very nice. Maybe the nicest group of soldiers we've ever seen on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, these dudes, they have families. They're just out here. They're, they're doing a job. They don't. They're not holding a bunch of grudges toward everybody. They're. They're. You know. They're. They're not horrible murderers. These ones. Right. And it gets tense at first. Like right. Arya yes. sees their weapons laying around and shit, and you. You're like, oh no, she's deciding whether or not to kill these guys. But as Barrett just said, this is a reminder that in Game of Thrones we are focused most of the time on the top level of that game. We almost never take a look at the little people from their perspective, like from the soldiers' perspective that we get here, from the peasants' perspective in Flea Bottom. So those moments when we are given this perspective always stand out, like the play over in uh, Bravos that we, we got to see unfold, that whole thing. Anytime we get that view, I love it. Anyway, Arya slugs a bunch of wine with these guys and tells them she's going to King's Landing to kill the queen. And after a very long pause, they all laugh together, which this time through watching it, I was like, them laughing saved their lives. Yeah. If yeah. they had been like, no, what's that? <laughs> Even just to be like, say the joke again, didn't hear you? <laughs> they, they'd all be dead. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. From there, we're on the road with the Hound, Thoros of Mir, and Beric Dondarrion. This is like our newest squad. And they have a shit ton of great banter. The, by far the best banter squad we've got going at the moment in Season 7, Episode 1. They start on horseback, and then they come across a house where there's no livestock, no smoke coming from the chimney. Looks like a good place to barrack, despite the hound saying, they, these people don't want us here, and I don't like the look of it. It's because he recognizes the house. He's been there. He left a man and his child, his daughter, there. He was there with Arya. You'll remember. Yes. One of the guys calls him out for being scared, and he says, I'll tell you what doesn't scare me, bald cocksuckers like you. You think you're fooling, fooling anyone with that top knot? Bald cunt. <laughs> but Thoros just shakes it off. He says, come on, let's see if they've got any rum. And the hound says, they don't. He's already <laughs> checked uh, when he was there prior. Inside, the hound sees them in the corner, the rotting corpses of the man and his daughter that he left there to die. I think he said something along the lines of, they'll be dead come winter anyway yeah. when he was robbing them. Right. Beric asks, how do you think it ended for them? And then he starts to kind of unfold it himself. He says, girl died in her father's arms, both of them covered in blood and a knife at her feet. I'd say they were starving. And rather than let his little girl suffer, he ended it for both of them. The hound is like, it doesn't matter now. But you can tell it matters a little to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is like really affecting him. Yeah. Uh, then we get a scene with all this camaraderie built up between our odd trio, Beric, Thoros, and the hound, where they're talking about the Lord of Light 
why it is that Beric and Thoros were chosen when the Hound has met men so much better than them. Beric and Thoros are like, you think we don't ask ourselves that question every fucking night? Like, why we're here, what we're supposed to do, what does the Lord see in us? Beric says, I don't know. I don't understand our Lord. I don't know what he wants from me. I only know that he wants me to, he wants me alive, is what he says. Um, and then Thoros convinces the hound to come over to the fire. He says, the fire won't bite. He says, I want to show you something. And the hound on his way over says, it's my fucking luck I end up with a band of fire worshippers. Beric finds that to be funny. I almost sounds, seems like divine justice. So he looks into the flames, and at first he doesn't see anything. Just sees logs, right? Logs burning. Then he sees it. Ice. A wall of ice. The wall. The wall. It's where the wall meets the sea. There's a castle there. There's a mountain. Looks like an arrowhead. The dead are marching past. Thousands of them. And Beric comes up and is like, Do you believe me now, Clegane? Do you believe we're here for a reason? And you're like, you get chills. You're like, oh, fuck. This is intense. Thoros then wakes up in the middle of the night to find the hound burying the dead, the father-daughter duo uh, that he left to die. And Thoros, this is when he realizes the hound certainly encountered these people before. Uh, this, to me, this burial scene is just a flat-out confirmation, like, you know, once and for all, let's confirm how changed the hound was by Ray mm -hmm. and his sept. Yeah. Or the attempted sept. Yeah. This is that, right? It's over. Yeah. You can bury it, no pun intended. Um, the hound prays. He says, we ask the father to judge us with mercy. We ask the mother to, fuck it, I don't remember the rest. I'm sorry you're dead. You deserved better, both of you. And then he just drops his shovel and walks off. But that, the hound, think back to like season one, two, three, no, man. No, he, he cares now because of his experience with with, with ray yeah and near death with with i guess technically with brienne too but everything that he's had and, that he's gone and, through has come to this yeah yes because even i would say you know his the, the conversations that he has with Arya had an impact on him as well everything with his brother growing up right uh, all the shit that he saw in king's landing i think being a servant of joffrey in a lot of ways sure, shaped him sure. like yeah seeing as the bat as bad as it could possibly get basically through him it's just cool to, to get this confirmation. I mean, he never would have buried a fucking body, ever, back in the day. No way. Not even if the king told him to. He would yep. have said, fuck the king, and walked off and gone and got drunk or something. Yes. So, um, next, we're back at the Citadel, where Sam is studying the books he stole from the restricted area while Gilly cares for little Sam. Sam is very clearly frustrated and tired, and she tries to tell him he should get some sleep, and he's like, the dead don't. They don't sleep, and that's a fair argument. Gilly grabs a book called Legends of the Long Night and opens it. Uh, Sam is kind of reading. At one point, he points, he says something. He's like, the Targaryens decorated their weapons with dragonglass without even knowing what the first men used it for, which is just very ironic and a cool little tidbit. Then he stumbles across a map of Dragonstone. And Gilly points to the map and says... That's Dragonglass. <laughs> I, I assume she saw the legend. Is that the... Uh, must word be. We yeah. must assume. Yes. Uh, and Sam's like, a mountain of it, beneath the ground. Stannis told me, but I didn't think... Dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. Then, as a separate thought, this is important, John needs to know. Now, is the joke that he didn't think it was important the first time, now he knows it's important, that's kind of the trickery with the line, 
or is it that he's strict? Like, is it a cop out and he doesn't give us the reason that he didn't care when Stannis said this very important fact? I, I'm taking this as more of like a nod from the show that we have heard Stannis say this before that, that there is dragon glass of dragon stone, but they but that they weren't like paying attention to it in that way yet, and so it didn't register as, ah, as okay, you know. And now and now whether that's like an actual part of the story that they like meant to have in there right that like this bit of knowledge was actually shared already but they nobody just, realized but how nobody realized it how important it was and now they're like and now this is like the refreshing moment like oh shit that's what stannis was talking about yeah well there's a mountain of dragon glass a dragonstone certainly on some level that will be the reaction that so many have across the uh scope of this storyline people that have certainly studied dragonstone and knew that there was dragon glass there and they're like wait that matters holy shit um Anyway, next we see Sam back about his duties. He's he's walking up and down that area I was talking about earlier, grabbing empty food plates off shelves, listening to puking and shitting and coughing. And when he approaches the last door in this solitary confinement area and he reaches for the plate, out pops a hand. It scares the shit out of everybody watching. It's a very, very dragon scaly hand. And the hand asks, has she come yet? And Sam's like, who? And the hand is like, the Dragon Queen, Daenerys Stormborn. And if you can't figure it out just from his fucking voice, it's, it's Jorah. Sam's like, haven't heard anything. And then we pan out uh, to see that it is Jorah. We see his jawline and all that. And sadly, Barrett, I think it's safe to say, if we were going to take a guess, a stab at it, there's probably not a Lisa mattress in that room Jorah is staying in in oh, the Citadel. Oh, man. No, don't tell me that. I... I hate to uh, make that observation. You know, him becoming a stone man was bad enough. But to not get comfortable but to not sleep. even, ugh. My God. It, for, for all of you out there, if you become stricken with dragon scale. With grayscale, grayscale. With grayscale. <laughs> at the very least, <laughs> ensure that you get a good night's sleep. And you can do that by getting a Lisa mattress from our uh, friends at Lisa. If you ever find yourself getting distracted, forgetting things, making mistakes at work or school, a quality night's sleep can make all the difference. And the right mattress is the difference between just laying down and actually getting valuable rest for your mind and body. The Lisa mattress is the right mattress. It's the product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of testing comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling, pressure relief, body contouring, and support. So you never get too hot. All shapes and sizes will be comfortable as hell, and over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree the Lisa mattress gives them the rest they need. Clam fam, you can get your Lisa mattress online today at lisa.com slash dragon with the promo code dragon and try it risk-free for 100 nights. It ships directly to your door in a convenient box with free shipping and free returns. And all you got to do is go to lisa.com slash dragon. Dragon. To get the rest you need tonight, $160 off the Lisa mattress is what you're going to get. Or $235 off the luxury Sapira mattress. Uh, you'll get free shipping on either. Lisa.com slash dragon. Grab a Lisa pillow. Grab a Lisa blanket. I have those as well. They're fantastic. Uh, and that's that. Finally, we come to Dragonstone. Danny's return to her ancestral home. And remember, we never really saw Dragonstone in full when we were there with Stannis. So this is the first full-blown CGI version of Dragonstone we've seen like this, with dragons flying overhead. It's a pretty breathtaking scene. Pretty powerful stuff. When they beach, and then Danny kneels to touch the sand with her hand laying flat on it, 
Uh, actually, she does that right next to what I'm almost positive is the cave that John goes and ends up digging in, mm-hmm. by the way, which is yeah. just kind of funny. She takes this long walk up to her throne room. All the other people are there with her. Tyrion, Missandei, Varys, Grey Worm. But they're giving her the space that she needs to kind of, they're like, you know, stand, stand back, stand back, let her... Let and, it breathe. And let's just say, this cape that she's got on, I know we talked about it two years ago it's or whatever. It's a sexual cape. I, I mean, it, this thing needs to be in the Smithsonian, man. It's why, just gorgeous. Why hasn't the cape ever made some type of comeback? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. I don't know why. Sorry, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> it is too soon. Uh, anyway, magical moment. Tyrion and Danny in the throne room where we once saw Stannis. Uh, you know, that was his throne room. Well, we never saw him there, but it was his throne room. In fact, we never saw this throne room, period. The only room we ever saw is the strategy room. That's the only room that Stannis ever apparently spent any fucking time in at Dragonstone. We might have seen the dungeons. I think Davos was down there right, right, with, right. Uh, yeah. with Shireen. So we've seen the dungeons a little bit, too. But point is, we haven't seen most of it. Uh, the throne room, by the way, very, very cool, and I really like what they did with the throne. It's different enough from everything else we've seen yeah, to distinguish cool. itself. Oh, yeah. It doesn't look comfortable, but they're not supposed to be comfortable, remember. That's right. So that the rulers sitting upon them never get too comfortable. So then she walks into the strategy room, the one we are familiar with, with all the chess pieces for each house on the giant mapped-out board, and it's got the raises in the fucking elevation. It's very cool. She gets all the way to the head of the table and she looks over at Tyrion who's just kind of, he's in awe even. Uh, this is this is a Lannister who grew up in King's Landing, but he's even in awe of kind of the structure of the room and this whole castle, I think. It's just very different than anything he's seen. And uh, he's kind of in awe of all of that. And then Danny stops and kind of puts her hands down on the table and says, shall we begin? And immediately the, the credits kick. And it puts so much more power behind her line that that song the drums start mm-hmm. right after you're kind of like oh let's get it like yes. just get you pumped for the season totally i thought it was such a good way to end the episode well i this isn't my favorite like it's certainly not my favorite opening episode for a season yeah no it's it's it, it ranks pretty low in that sense but they did a very good job with the ending to get me psyched about what's to come right um now whether or not that pays off we'll have to wait and see but they did get me psyched that is your first episode of season seven We will be back, hopefully, to talk about the second episode of Season 7, which would be titled Stormborn, written by Brian Cogman and directed by Mark Mylod, next week. It'll be two weeks from now. Or two two weeks from now. Yeah. I can't, fuck, it just blows my mind that we're in these, that we have six left. We're almost here, man. Six left. That's right. It disturbs me a great deal. So don't don't feel too bad about having to wait two weeks because we're just, we're just stretching it out. You know, soak it we're, in. We're, we're giving you a little extra time to just to catch up, to soak it in, to enjoy your holiday, and and then we'll and then we'll be right back at it. And, there you go. And blowing right to the finish line. There you go. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles, and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. You can like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles if you feel so inclined. My personal social media, Ross, you can follow me at Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, at WRBullen on all three of those. Barrett, where can the good people of the Clam Fam follow you? Oh, my personal accounts remain intact at Twitter and on Instagram at Barrett Dudley. Thank fuck. Stay tuned. Hotline number is 866-43-CLAMS. Rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. Clam Fam, thank you for sticking with us. I know this week has been a very long one. Four days later, they're three days later than usual you get your episode. A lot of shit been going on. All right, and like I said, I'll try to explain as much of that as I can in time, as will bear it. But for now, 
We're back. Enjoy. What is this? What was this one called? Anyone? Dragonstone. Dragonstone. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Or the week after that. Bye.